0: Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Friends Podcast. Uh, Real quick about the podcast: we are people, uh, and our our guests are people, and me too, who are in active uh, recovery from addiction. Uh, We come on here and share uh, our unique experience in the hope that listeners still in active addiction uh, can identify with the stories and uh, maybe find hope for their own recovery. Uh, We are not affiliated or do we speak for any 12-step program or any other addiction or recovery-based entity. Uh, The words spoken here reflect the experience of our guests and not the opinion of their chosen path to recovery. All right. All right uh so yeah today um today <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the second podcast I recorded today, which is crazy uh but uh today's guest earlier was very special. today's guest right now is super special as well. <laughs>
1: We're all very special everybody's special <laughs>
0: <laughs> especially in the good way yes well this it's always a good way, right um so Dana. Hello. Hey. Thanks for coming to do this.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, are you hot? A little. I'm
0: a little warm too. I think the AC will probably kick on. Um, That's
1: fine. I have layers too, so we're good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me know if you want me to. I'll, maybe I'll kick it on in a minute. Uh, so, anyways, <laughs> I'll introduce you to the to the public. Um, Dana. Dana has been um, a woman. Who I admire a lot, and I and I look up I look up to. Um, you were a member um, of the home group that I first joined in uh, the twelve step group or the twelve step program that we're involved in, <laughs> and um, I always just um, was impressed with you. Um, I know the first time I. Sh- the first time I got asked to moderate at that meeting, was it? W- it wasn't being held at the normal meeting place, and it was at the or the where the Big Easy uh, meets. <laughs> another not, group uh,
1: meets somewhere. <laughs>
0: well, another group meets. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and I don't know. I just remember your share was like I think I I had talked about like spirituality or something or staying in contact and you you sure was like uh, something to do with and I don't know why I remember this uh like you related spirituality to Facebook or something like a Facebook yeah. check-in Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and, I, and I remember thinking oh that was hella creative
1: It's <laughs> the truth I've done that in a couple of different ways because the I'm always impressed with the amount of time that we We'll spend on social media and the amount of time that we spend on our spirituality and how those two things contrast. Oh
0: wow! Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I spend way more time on social media. Yeah, than dude, me than too. Even, <laughs> even like with what I tend to think is a is a solid like meditation practice, like not even
1: close. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm much more interested in what you're doing than what. Uh, the path is, <laughs> yeah.
0: or like, yeah, or like, I, I'm really interested in whether you engage with my posts or not. Too, uh, you have
1: great posts. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> you know, so weird about we are already going on a side about that is like I'm always, I'm not, I'm not even going to go into it. Let's just, <laughs> I'm going to set a timer. Okay, is that it? Because um, you have a specific time you want to hit so I'll just do that awesome and I'll show it to you every now and then okay Uh, but yeah so anyways um, always admired you thank you for doing this this means a lot to me um, that you you know I might when I started doing this that nobody would want to do it
1: (laughs) it really is um, a big contribution to the community and I'm excited that you took the initiative to do it I think you are helping a lot of people already
0: I hope so yeah, I hope the podcast helps a lot of people and like the guests, right, obviously. So.
1: Collaboratively will change the world, Andy.
0: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs>
1: <coughs> okay, cool. So you want to know what it was like? Huh?
0: Yeah, please tell me what it was like. Cool. I want to relate.
1: Yeah, I was reflecting on like how this might go because I'm well-trained at how to speak in front of a group of people and how to tell my story in the podcast public arena but more on -on one-on-one I guess I do that with people I sponsor and anybody who asks so we'll see how it goes um but I am an alcoholic Mm -hmm. so you mentioned addiction and I was addicted to alcohol in a really serious way and um Gosh, I always am impressed with people who are able to say, oh, the first time I had a drink or a drug, here, let me tell you the story. Because I spent so much time not remembering um, or, or being in some sort of brownout or blackout that I really cannot honestly tell you when I took my first drink. I just don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know that I remember my first drink either. Yeah. I remember my first drunk, though.
1: Yeah, I don't remember that either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of the la- the first like tw- 28 years of my life. I got sober when I was 28. Mm. Um, and that was almost 10 years ago. So I'll oh. let you do the math on how old I am. <laughs> but actually, if you get sober, you age backwards. So I look younger today than I did uh, when I got sober. Uh, really? <laughs> yes.
0: Wow. Yeah. I feel like I've, I've like, I, you know, I had like, um, like, uh, what's that called? Like I was retaining water. Yeah. So like I had less wrinkles. Uh, that makes (laughs)
1: sense. Yeah. We definitely get wiser too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and hopefully healthier, but anyway, I uh, am from Kentucky and I guess what's notable about my upbringing is a couple of things. One is my dad, um, was an alcoholic And I may not get the timeline exactly right, uh, but he got sober when I was about 10 or 11. And he, I think, tried all the things that we tried to get sober, um, and they didn't work. Uh, And my mom really had had enough. I'm pretty sure she had hit up Al-Anon, and they gave her the tools to be able to say, like, and we're done. Mm. And strangely enough, it was when that happened, and he was, you know, kicked out of the house, and their marriage was ending, and the things that we have to put ourselves through is when he actually got sober and he got sober in the same 12 step program that I'm in today. Um, so as a kid growing up, I got to see both sides of alcoholism, the active kind and the recovered kind. Yeah. And I'm the oldest of four. So I really, I don't, I don't have extensive conversations with my siblings about this, but I'm, I have a pretty clear memory of both sides of that coin. And so it's cool to be able to watch people recover today and watch them come in and listen to stories of people who did the things that I did and the things my dad did and the things I lived through as a kid. You know, he drove us around drunk and he wasn't where he said he was going to be. And my, I always remember my mom just saying about my dad you're reliably unreliable. (laughs) And like, that is a distinct feature of alcoholism. You can (laughs) can count on
0: their unreliability. I
1: thought my dad was just a bad dude, but really it it was, you know, suffering from alcoholism. And so it took what it took. He got sober around that time when I was 10 or 11 and he got sober, you know, 12 step program and he tried treatment. He tried Jesus and, um, Loved both of them. But the only thing that worked sustainably for him was the 12 steps. And so I got to see first firsthand uh, what a miracle it is for somebody who like has tried all of the other things and had none of them work. Yeah. And so my dad started to suit up and show up, as we say, and he would um, come and eat lunch with us at school. We didn't live with him. Um, we... Had limited access. He really had limited access to to us. Um,
0: So, your parents didn't get back together? They didn't.
1: Probably for the best, (laughs) probably (laughs) for the best for them in society and the world. Um, They didn't get back together, but my dad started to really show up in meaningful ways. And what I remember was my mom actually got remarried and we moved to a different state. And I was in middle school, right? Which is like the most traumatic time for anything to happen. But definitely for that, and so, but my dad would drive, like, a couple hours where we live just to come see, like, our choir rehearsal, I mean, performance, or a soccer game, or whatever, like, he would just show up for that, and then turn around and drive two or three hours, oh, and back wow. home. So, I saw what it, I saw what it meant as a kid to show up for people, when you said you were going to, because for so long, like, he didn't, he would say he would, and, like, <laughs> not, or maybe, you know, unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so anyway um i love my dad we had a really amazing relationship and um he was my best friend and you know when you think of think about like who loves you unconditionally like that was my dad i felt like he never judged me like i saw him practice the principles of this 12-step program in our relationship Hmm. he never judged me like i was smoking and (laughs) i was running away and i was just terrible to my mom and disrespectful and a liar and a cheater and snuck out and just did all the things, you know, like take typical antisocial teenage behavior and like multiply it by a few times. And that was me. (laughs) Wow. And without enabling me, like I never felt judged yeah, by that that's, dude.
0: And then, yeah, and that's like in hindsight that you realize, oh, those was, that was all yeah. programmed.
1: He didn't have those things naturally. Like <laughs> we taught him those things, you know, which yeah. is why I mentioned them. Yeah. So um, he was sober for 13 years and died of a heart attack, sober, playing golf, which is like the best thing ever for him. So if you got to go out, like go out doing something you love, but. That was really a turning point in my life because um what I love to spend time with my dad and my dad went to a lot of movies church and 12-step meetings and so I did all those things in order to spend time with him so I grew up in these rooms like I grew up there and like reading and if it was a smoking meeting my dad would have me sit out in the in the foyer or wherever is a church hall like Smoking meetings? <laughs> yeah, dude, I used to smoke in meetings. It's, yeah. It seems so crazy. Uh, actually, when I first got sober, I went to a meeting in Birmingham, and it was a smoking meeting. I'm like, is everybody in Alabama smoke? Uh, <laughs> and they they, they don't. And I, I doubt went, that meeting exists anymore. But
0: Well, I went to a meeting here when I first tried to get sober, Well, I went, when I first tried to, like, seriously get sober. And I remember it was a smoking meeting, and I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I've arrived, right? Uh, I was like, This is amazing. And then like, not even not even ten minutes into the meeting there was so much you smoke in breathe. there. I was like, Oh no, this is a horrible idea.
1: <laughs> Andy, I just had a flashback because when I first got sober, God, those first two two years really still I barely remember most of it. It was insane. But I took a job in Houston for the summer that first year I I got sober and I was, I went to meetings in Houston and some of them were smoking meetings Uh, and I was a smoker. So I thought that was like the best thing, but then, (laughs) right, you can't breathe. Then you're like, what is this meeting going to be over (laughs) and get some fresh air. So uh, I mentioned that I spent a lot of time in these, in the rooms of recovery because I made a decision that I was going to go, I was going to be smart about, Life and I wasn't gonna drink and I wasn't gonna do drugs and I just was not going to do the things I was gonna be book smart and um, school smart and I was gonna get out of Kentucky because I thought, gosh, if I could just get away from here, then it, whatever I'm feeling will be better. And I always was operating with this MO ever since, like, this you know, what I felt like was a traumatic experience. Which I realize is like everyone's middle school experience is kind of traumatic. Just this like verge of adolescence is traumatic for everybody, I think. And I just like didn't cope with it well. So basically since the seventh and eighth grade, I've been a terrorist in my (laughs) own life, you know, to my my family and my mom and um, really took it out. Things that like were out of their control mostly like took it out of them, out on them. But I did make the decision that I was never going to drink and then clearly changed my mind.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. You, you're paralleling uh, Aubrey so much because she had the same, like, I'm never going to drink when she was coming up. And she got sober at 28. So it's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I got sober at 29. That's like a magic, like. Late 20s, man. Yeah. It's when
1: you have to make the decision between sobriety and death. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I think, like, at the end of a decade where you've, like, just ruined that everything <laughs> <You're talking. laughs> right. yeah new beginnings i guess
1: so <laughs> i changed my mind and i a peculiar thing happened i should know these things right because they talk about like this thing that we have that, like when we start to drink we can't stop that's for me like what differentiates an alcoholic from just like a hard drinker is like when i start to drink i cannot stop and even if i want to i can't stop as fast as i'd like to And so that would happen, you know, like 15, 16, I'd be in a, here are my air quotes, committed relationship with somebody that I loved, but then I'd start drinking at a party and end up with someone else that I fell in love with that same Mm -hmm. night, you know? (laughs) And um, walk into school the next day, not remembering much, but having these marks to tell the tale and like wondering, like all the wondering, oh, but people in high school are really mean. Like they're going to tell you what you did. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're going to call you things, you know, and it's just like I spent a lot of time kind of trying to repaint my life and like be a different person and like recover from the things that I would do when I was drinking. And it all stemmed from this feeling of it. Something is not right. Something doesn't feel right. I don't feel complete. I don't feel whole. I don't feel like I belong, even in my own Mm. skin. Um, And so I hear uh, a lot of people say, oh, I didn't feel like I was good enough or whatever. Like, I think I suffered from this obnoxious other side where I felt like I was invincible, able to recover from anything because I'd had to for so (laughs) many things. And that I was better than and I don't know like what if I you unpack that or whatever what the real truth is but I really believe that like I was better than you for whatever reason I so I didn't touch much more than alcohol like I, lo- I picked alcohol and fell in love with it and like w- while I cheated in other areas of my life in all the other areas of my life I was hesitant to cheat on alcohol and I really stuck and stayed with all the varieties of it um And I learned how to drink really hard really early and thought that was cool. So one thing I've learned a lot in my time here is that we are brilliant people who are able to hold things together much longer than we should. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I feel like I developed like dual personalities, not in a mental health kind of way, just in a like survival kind of way. Like I'm going to have this personality over here that excels in school and is president of the fellowship of christian athletes (laughs) and like goes to church and you know does the school and it's all around you know all around like good gal and this other side that would just like come out of the dark and be like i'm gonna go sneak off with my senior boyfriend and drink beer in his truck and (laughs) knock him back for a couple nights and scare everybody and um behave totally in a total opposite way So, um, that's not sustainable, (laughs) (laughs) but I tried really hard to sustain it. And so alcoholism, at least my form is progressive. And I tried all the things to fix that feeling I was telling you about. Like, it's not okay. I don't feel okay. I really thought it was depression. I've Mm. been, um, prescribed i'm gonna put that in air quotes too because there are a lot of people in my family who are doctors not necessarily psychiatrists but doctors <laughs> who will write you a script for um mental health stuff because it runs real deep in my family so it's yeah. like yeah just throw some prozac on it it'll be fine and i did for a long time and called it depression and called it anxiety and like never did spent you... much time with a psychiatrist who would who you know said those things did
0: you find that that stuff worked at all
1: temporarily i feel like it did but then i would do the thing that like i I know is common for people who take take uh antidepressants is i would be like oh i'm fine i feel great i don't need these (laughs)
0: yeah well i I remember i I talked the doctor into into prescribing me antidepressants once it was weird because i had gone to him after like missing work because I ate weed brownies, the the day before.
1: You definitely <laughs> need for a for that, okay? And,
0: and I and I couldn't go to sleep that night, and then I woke and I slept for like an hour or two, and I woke up really really high, so I couldn't go to work. And then I was like, well, I should go to the doctor and get an excuse because I told him I was sick. So I went to the doctor and and somehow I got him to prescribe me uh, Valium and antidepressants. And I remember the antidepressants like. For a while, I was like, I was, I felt euphoric when it started kicking in. I was yeah. like, oh man, this is amazing. They
1: work. <laughs> <And within laughs> they it, do their job. levels off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they stop working when you stop taking them. So yeah. please, I am not advising anyone to stop taking their meds. Okay, <laughs> work with a doctor, my friends.
0: Also, one thing before you keep going. You said your version of alcoholism is progressive. Do you think there's alcoholism that's not progressive?
1: I don't know. I do know I can't speak for everybody. Yeah. You know, and... Okay, I got you. I don't think that I was ever even willing until I got here to say like, Oh yeah, it got bad and then it got worse. Yeah. I just kept thinking, I've got this, I'll figure it out. I've got this, I'll figure it out. That, and yeah. It
0: could, you'd be able to like, yeah. That you I'd were like, regain okay,
1: control it. for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I'll tell you like 10 out of 10 times, alcoholism just gets worse. <laughs> so if you're 10. listening and you think you might have it like, yeah, it's, It doesn't get better it didn't for me anyway yeah so fast forward i went to um i was a high achiever man i loved school i did well i was involved in all the clubs and i figured out what it would take to get into a good school and i got in and i was terribly entitled And basically, like, didn't bother to apply for scholarships, didn't bother to, like, even research that stuff. Just looked at my mom and Uh. said, like, you're paying my way through school because, like, that's just what you're going to do. I often wonder if, like, she did that just to, like, get me away, (laughs) like, send me away. Because I really like when I say terrorist, Uh. that's a kind description of my behavior. So anyway, I, I got my wish. I got away. I went to a fancy school. I did pretty well there, um, but the, I felt the same way, and my alcoholism started to get worse. And my first, i was in a sorority—and I remember the very first sorority party. They had to put out a search party for me because I left the party. <laughs> I just had gone home. Like I just walked drunk home. <laughs> I think I'm sure I had a boy with me, but I didn't go back to the, didn't get on the bus, didn't go back to the house, didn't sign in. Like they sent out a a search party. Like, where is Dana? First party, you know, like how I stayed. (laughs) And I I ended up being president of that sorority too. Right. Like, so that's the craziest part is that I would do stuff like that, but still excel and like be in leadership and get good grades and study abroad and like be the president of this and the leader of that. And um, man, it was like a seesaw. So I, um, we'll fast forward a little bit. I graduated from a fancy school, and I joined a teaching program. <laughs> I have no idea why I did that because at the time, even my college roommates were like, what are you doing? You hate kids. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like all the community service we had to do in college was like for, I, I did my experiences like elderly people and puppies, like keep me away from the children because I don't like children. Uh. But I joined a teaching program and, um, they shipped me off to Maryland, and so I went to Baltimore and started teaching, and I absolutely loved it. Oh wow! I had lived in France for a few for a while. Um, sometime in high school, I lived there, and then I studied there, and, and I was in college. So I spoke French and I taught French and this teaching program in high school and inner city school in Baltimore, and really thought like, oh my gosh, I'm changing the world, I'm saving the world.
0: Michelle Pfeiffer.
1: Exactly. Like <laughs> I've probably had that movie on repeat the whole first year. But I want to tell you something about teaching it is stressful. Oh, it's I can really imagine. Stress- stressful. So by that time I had gotten myself the man that I was ready to marry. Like he was the one and we moved from college together and uh, moved into, he came to Maryland with me and we were going to, I was going to do this teaching program and they were going to go law school together. So, um, I had all the dreams, had them, had them all like got the dream job had the dream man, like setting up the dream life, like just had it all. And there's this part in her book that says like, I had arrived and like, I felt that way, Mm. except for it was only on the outside because on the inside, I still was like, he's not good enough. This city sucks. Like these kids are killing me. Like just like super, super um, disconnected. Yeah. But let me go back to the fact that teaching is really stressful, and so I use that and say that jokingly because, well, it is. But if you're an alcoholic, it just is like another excuse to drink because you're so stressed out. Um, If you're a teacher listening, like I know you understand.
0: I just could imagine like trying to like keep unruly kids in line. Yeah. I would, and I probably would deserve the. (laughs) <laughs> uh, my, my classmates, and I used to give some teachers hell, like, they, we, I remember one teacher cried. I mean, we were horrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, but yeah. I really pretended like I was Michelle Pfeiffer, because I'll tell you, I was in a high school, and I graduated early, so I was 20, I just turned 21, and I'm in front of my kids, and they're 18, 19, and twenty. <laughs> <laughs> like so but so i da- I adapted this michelle for kind of badass but also like the crazy white lady is uh. what with- <laughs> and i taught french so they called me but ma- well i can't tell you my last name but madame my last name uh-huh. and so um they i would just like start yelling at them in french and they would be like oh here she go madame you know the crazy uh-huh. white lady <laughs> but i felt it was very stressful to like because i had to have this militaristic persona who was also uh-huh. a little insane and feel like, you know, cause at my core, I feel like I have to be a perfectionist and like do everything perfectly the first time, and, like not ask for help. And that's stressful, man. So I would come home and I'd make a drink immediately and that would turn to two and that would turn to three. And then I moved from wine to hard liquor and I would call it a cosmopolitan and shake it up. But by the time I, w- my boyfriend would go to bed, I would be sneaking shots out of the freezer mm. just to go to bed. And so, um, but I was still that dual personality, man. I excelled in my job and I loved my kids and I loved the school, but I also really liked drinking. And it got to the point in my outside of school life that I would started to limit my drinks that I would have in front of other people and then go home and drink more. And then my boyfriend was like, dude, we can't go out anymore if you're going to drink. Like we cannot be around other people because you steal the keys, you drive away drunk, you throw things like you cause fights You become a different person your voice even changes and i'm like what are you talking about and he would like record it i'd be like man it does kind of change doesn't it
0: to go deeper or like
1: we just go into this more it just felt like an artificial version Uh of me i don't know well obviously
0: i'm sure you slurred a little bit oh hell yeah and
1: i i I do speak a few languages and they would all come out at the same time (laughs) So, but I mean, I I would, I would start to be violent and um, mean and do like one of my favorite things was to drink and drive because you were not going to tell me what to do. You were not taking my keys. And if you did, like I would hit you, you know, or run you over the car or Mm -hmm. try to, so, so he finally said, we're not going, if you're going to drink, we're not going out. And finally it got to the point where he was like, and I'm going to move out, pretend it's because I'm going to law school, <laughs> 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 which he did. And he's living a nice life now. Um, but I stayed and during this time, Andy, my dad died of a heart attack. And so you can imagine I'm already drinking cause I'm stressed and now I'm drinking on purpose mm. because my best friend died. You know, and he spent a lot of time like talking about God and spirituality. And I just said like, dude, fuck God. And if that's going to happen, like if that's what's up, like if that, if that's the way life is and like, fuck this life. And I started to drink on purpose and with vim and vigor. And I really had no coping skills to deal with my dad's death. And except for alcohol, like in many ways, I have no hate towards alcohol. I love it. It saved my life. Many, many times prevented Mm. me from committing suicide, prevented me from having nervous breakdowns. Like it literally came in and saved the day, which is why when it was suggested to me that I might go to a program that would, you know, suggest that I stop drinking, it was devastating to me because it really was my best friend. Mm so right before i moved to new orleans i had gotten a, a big promotion a couple years actually before i moved to new orleans i got a promotion i was a school principal they put me in charge of a high school in nor i mean in baltimore and i had arrived andy because although i had lost my relationship and i was involved in like scandalous things um that was my dream job to lead a school with social justice and centered on ki- taking kids and closing the, the educational gap. Mm. Um, and we did that, man, and that school was on a fire and the kids were brilliant and the staff was amazing, but I could not stop drinking. And so I got myself into a situation that I just could not get out of and my alcoholism caught up with me for the very first time. And I'd experienced some consequences before, physical consequences, um, emotional consequences, material consequences, but never professional con- consequence. And I had climbed my career ladder, ladder so fast and had so much like resounding success and never had been told no, really. I wasn't willing to accept no. And the other shoe had never dropped and I never expected it to because mm. it never had. Yeah. And it did. And I remember the, the conversation that the group had with me upon my, like, agreed upon <clears throat> departure. <laughs> my supervisor, who was, like, my mentor, and I just looked up to her so much, that I want you to consider what brought you here. And I knew what she was talking about but I couldn't put the name alcoholism to it but I did google just to check this is when I like went into the phase of googling am I an alcoholic (laughs) even though my dad was in it you know in the program and I had grown up in in a 12-step room like it didn't occur to me that like I was such a bad alcoholic that I might have to get some help for it Mm. I thought I could just quit on my own And I didn't think it was ever gonna get as bad as it did. And it was so bad that I had to leave my profession and leave the states because there was no way I was ever gonna work in my field again if I stayed there.
0: But everything just kept working out for you so it made sense not to think that you wouldn't be able to lick that problem too.
1: Yeah, I've been able to like put the lid on so many things and get out of so many situations (laughs) that it was flabbergasting that this was not gonna work out for me in the way that I wanted. Again, like this ridiculous sense of entitlement. So I, in a drunken stupor, Googled best places for people, young people who like to drink to live. And guess what came up? Number one, uh-huh. New Orleans. And so within, I actually saw this on my Facebook page like memory feed a couple of days ago. I was counting on the the weeks that I was moving to New Orleans on Facebook. (laughs) Basically, I'm like running from my own life. I didn't say this, but I I was running from my own life. And I went on the run and literally like left everything, everybody I loved, my house. Like the only thing I took with me was my little car and my two cats and my dog and whatever would fit into that little car and drove across the country. On the run from my own life. That I had created for myself. And I got here and said and thought and believed that I was gonna be a new me and have a new start and live a different life and it was gonna work out. And within six months, I had made the commitment, not just a decision, but the commitment to kill myself. Wow. Commitment. Yeah. And that's <laughs> a difference. A commitment is for me, like different from like an idea or a decision. I, um, you know, before we started this, we were talking about these, like, letters that we say from people we love, and, like, I would break those boxes out and read them with wine, you know? Like, that would be the only way that I could read letters from my dad or sentimental things that, like, brought me back from the past. Like, I had to have booze to, to access those things um, because it prevented, it, like, pre- gave me a barrier between, like, myself and, like, any feeling. <laughs> So um, I came down to New Orleans and got a job in the French Quarter, and if you've ever been to the French Quarter, you know there's a lot of alcohol in the French Quarter, and most nights I never made it home because I would go to work, I made a friend at uh, at my job who also lived in the French Quarter, and basically I just lived to drink and made it to work most of the time. Mm and so that situation did not work out um the work situation the drinking situation and by the end of my alcoholism this is in 2009 i was drinking something like 12 to 14 hours a day and i was all i could think about was how am i going to recover from this hangover and what time can we start drinking again and those weren't even conscious thoughts the hangover one probably was. But the what time can we start drinking was like my body was addicted. My mind was addicted. I was obsessed. And the only way that I could get rid of the feelings that I had created through alcohol would drink again. Yeah, And I would drink and then lose control of the amount that I would take and then do things that I would never do sober. And then I was in New Orleans, um, which... It's Although it's renowned for alcohol, like it's a scary place. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, put myself in so many risky situations. I yeah. just thought I was invincible. Alcohol gave me like the cape of invincibility, oh. but it also took away everything that I ever loved. Because by that time, not talking to my family, I lost touch with my friends. I've made one friend and only because she drinks as much as I do. And I'm alone, completely alone in New Orleans. So, it was a sad and really really lonely place and you take that feeling that i mentioned at the beginning that i started to have around middle school and you amplify it until i was totally consumed with what i felt like was just darkness and emptiness and lost the will to live except for the only thing that would like light the spark was alcohol which is why i kept going back to it regardless of like the craziest situations that i would get into Hmm. I look. we could talk for like hours and hours about mm. all those things but they were wild and crazy very inappropriate um, so this is an interesting story about me getting sober so I had another conversation with my supervisor at this new job and this new life that I was creating for myself and she was having the same conversation I had had less than a year before in a different job in a different state in a different life mm. same conversation <laughs> And I realized like something's got to give because I really wanted to keep this job. Like I really wanted to stay in New Orleans. I wanted this. And so I knew that I had to do something. And um, so my plan was, I'm going to call my mom and ask her to to move home. If I tell her that I'm coming home, (laughs) I really thought like she was gonna be so excited (laughs) that I was gonna come home and like live with her again. And I just remember there being a pause on the phone when I pitched this idea. I'm pretty sure there was a long pause. And then I told her what had happened. And she, of all people, we had had the most tumultuous relationship. I had done, like, unspeakable things and said ridiculous things and damaged our relationship almost beyond repair. But she was the one who, instead of saying, yes, please come home, live with me. She said, why don't you check out a meeting of this 12-step program? Yeah. And when she said that, it was like all of the stress and tension melted away. And I was finally able to breathe for the first time. Wow. Because it had never occurred to me, even though I swear to you, I grew up in the rooms, to go to them for me. Even though I would Googled, am I an alcoholic? And it had me take the test and said something like you drink more than 93 percent of Americans <laughs> I was like oh yeah go seven <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah>. percent <laughs> Um, I was confirmed and I really was uh, at that point like felt okay about being a functional or even dysfunctional alcoholic but did not feel okay about like going to a 12-step program. Yeah. Well, that's
0: it's, interesting that you got like such relief from that.
1: Yeah. Just from the moment I said, okay, I'll try to check it out.
0: Wow. It right. was
1: like all the, it was like I had been carrying, it was I was Atlas carrying the world and I just set it down for a minute.
0: No, oh, that's
2: interesting.
1: So I did. I Googled it and there was a place nearby my house that had a meeting and I went the next day and I don't remember very much of being uncomfortable, I guess like wondering if this really was the last house on the block, but I remember people were nice to me and that's what I remember about my, We're in the last 30 minutes, right?
0: Um, Oh, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. We have to take a break. Well, let's do it. (laughs) Um, all right, cool. Yeah. So you, you're, we're going to take a break. Okay. Sorry about that. (laughs) 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 No, I'm good. We're back on the recording tip. Hey. <laughs> hey, y'all. We back. <laughs> <laughs> After that awkward exit into break.
1: I didn't realize we were taking a break. <laughs> I just knew I was being timed. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll start the timer over. Okay. Uh, I'm know what I'm going to do. Instead of doing a timer that counts down, I'm just going to do a stopwatch that counts up. That's good. That way there's no beep, beep, beep. Perfect. Um, so there it is.
1: Great. So we were talking at the break about wondering if this call with my mom was my, like, step one moment. And step one is um, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. And I heard somebody the other day say, really, it just means are you happy with what you got? (laughs) (laughs) And if the answer is no, then welcome to step one. (laughs) But I had this realization that, like, it must be really bad if I'm thinking about doing a 12, like visiting a 12 step meeting and I couldn't see any other way out. And I think that like, that's kind of how we have to get where we are. For me, I had to have that moment of like, I'm out of gas. I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. And I don't want to lose another job. Although I ended up (laughs) losing it anyway. Stark sober, but still, um, I thought that was the worst thing. And anyway, I did. I just realized that I wasn't happy with what I had. And I hated my life. And I hated myself. And I hated the way that I was feeling. And I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. Again, like, I have the sense of entitlement. So I'm, like, definitely not willing to go to jail. Like, not willing to go homeless. Like, I'm just not willing to do those things. So maybe I got here a little faster. But I did. I came to I went to meetings and um, was really miserable, but I stayed sober for four days. And I think it honestly, it was mostly out of fear because I knew if I drank again, I was definitely going to lose my job. Definitely. Hmm. And I didn't want to lose my job. Um, But I went to four meetings and thought, Hey, there's something to this. Maybe if I just sit and just go to a meeting, like for the rest of my life, then I'm still going to feel miserable, but I'm not going to drink. And so I guess this is just the way it's going to be. <clears throat> but that did not work because, I, you know, first m- m- being sober and not having any sort of solution is the worst. So crazy. I felt like I would rather be drunk or I'd rather be dead, and I couldn't drink, so then I only had one option. So when I did drink again after that fourth day, I was not impressed, like I should have been impressed, like, whoa, four days sober, like that's Mm -hmm. the longest you've gone in a very long time. But instead I thought, this doesn't work. Like maybe it worked for my dad, maybe it worked for these old geezers up in this meeting, but like I'm a cute young woman, like this program clearly is not for me. Now I say this, but like I had a bad, like I was not (laughs) hygienic, I was not taking care of myself, When I say I look younger today than when I walked in at 28, I mean it. Wow. Um, so anyway, I have been a my ego is just disjointed. Uh So I decided that it wasn't going to work and that I was instead going to commit suicide. And, um, you know, I thought about suicide before, like a bunch of times and like even written letters, like just in case I like actually went through with it and, Suicide was like kind of always on the docket, but this, it was like, it became top of the docket, like next in line.
0: Were you ever satisfied with the letter?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I always wrote the letter drunk, so I would read it the next day and be like, what? You can't leave that in your letter. You have to write a better letter. You can not die today.
0: I <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that I would be obsessed with like what the letter, like how yeah. the letter would frame me. Well, people. <laughs>
1: The last time I would write, instead of one letter, I wrote letters to like all the people I loved, Mm. which like made me feel like I was closer to actually doing it. But this time there was no letter. There was no like emotional stuff. It was just, I'm done with this. I'm done. Like I can't, I'm not going to. And so instead I'm going to execute this plan with these particular materials that I've acquired. Now here, (laughs) I wonder if I have time to tell this story. Let me go back real fast because I want to talk about spirituality um I grew up and I went to a school that is religious based and at that particular time um I also lived on a farm on the way to school one day we were um unfortunately met with my dog who'd been run over on the on the like dirt road we lived on so I went to the church at school and talked to the person leading the church I'm like trying to not tell you what religion it was because it doesn't matter but at that time that particular church held the belief system which they've since changed that pets don't have souls and so they're not going to be I asked the the dude the guy like hey I'm going to see pumpkin in heaven right And he said, no, you won't because she doesn't have a soul. So Jesus doesn't invite her in. And so at that point, I want to say I was like maybe eight or nine. Like super devastatingly (laughs) young. You know, like I was actually in a fourth grade classroom today or third or fourth grade classroom today. And that occurred to me like this is how little I was when I basically told that God hates animals. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like... i'm an animal lover so that didn't work for me oh, no. but i mentioned that because i've always been able to experience spirituality in the presence of animals like i've always had cats and dogs and other weird animals but so back to the animals i have three at the time i mentioned them right i've yeah. brought them down from baltimore i've had these cats since i graduated from college two cats and a dog and i looked up i wouldn't look up like how to go to a treatment center but i will look up what happens to your pets if you die oh. And they are taken to the local shelter and euthanized. They're not even put up for adoption. Oh. Yeah. So I said, I'm going, but they cannot go with me. <laughs> so I, that was kind of like an intervention into my plan. Um, so I ended up taking them to Kentucky with the intention of dropping them off at my family's house and then executing the plan. Um, but because I did that, there was intervention. Yeah. And I hear I was like
0: the red flag. That was it. Right? Like,
1: why are you dropping your pets off here? (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, I didn't die. Instead, I got sober. And it was really miserable. I never, this is why I do not want to ever relapse. Is because the first couple months are just, suck. they just suck so bad. And I sweat and I cried and I felt sick. And I was just like, man, this is the worst thing ever. Um, But I, I went to meetings every day and I did what the people said and the people said, get on your knees and ask whatever's out there to please keep you sober. I remember my feelings about God, right? The one killed my dad. So I wasn't willing to like use that word or like buy into that. And so what really drew me into this particular program is, it's like, well, you don't have to call it God. Like you just have to, this has to not be you. It's got to be bigger than you. And other than that, like no requirements.
0: Yeah. That's so crucial isn't that awesome because
1: if you if they would have been like here's this guy that like doesn't allow pets in heaven (laughs) and killed your dad and like you know the abuse and scandals and like i was just done with that particular version and they said fire that version and hire a new one and i'm like what (laughs) because that just was out of my paradigm but i bought in and they and so i had somebody say like think about something that when you're around it like you feel unconditional love and so i started with my dog that i had because mm. that dog loved me and she just like being with her made me feel like i was like the best human ever mm. and then it got bigger and i started to feel the, that love and care from the way that i felt for my dad and that's how i got bought in and somebody said well make it like instead of like calling it da- god call it like the spirit of your father mm. And I was even more bought in and, like, helped me grieve and helped me cope. And it helped me, like, really allow myself to feel loved and cared for in a way that, like, I just had been shut off from. Wow.
0: That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. That's a
0: beautiful way to describe God.
1: Even today, like, when I feel, yeah, blocked. When I feel blocked, I just meditate and, like, think about my dad sitting right next to me. Because that dude loved me so much. (laughs) So it's like I don't even have to worry about finding God or feeling God because I have that love I'm feeling from my relationship with my dad. And, like, in that relationship there was God, and I didn't even know. Like, that's what God looks and feels like. So, nice. <clears throat> so I, was, I was bought in. <laughs> I drank the juice. And... um you know, I don't want to go on for hours and hours, but I haven't had to relapse. People say, oh, yeah, it can be a part of, it's part of your story to relapse. I'm like, nope, not part of mine. I went to four meetings, stayed sober, and drank again, but I didn't relapse because I hadn't done anything. And so I think my journey started when I actually started to do the work. Someone, um, actually, there's, you know, a general uh, advisement that, like, your first year sober you might not want to do things like make big decisions or move or buy big things or fall in love <laughs> i did all those things i did all those things i told you i took a job in houston oh, yeah. i fell madly in love with somebody who like was also new in, in recovery and he was such a gift to me because um he t- well, he taught me about like and being okay with not getting what I want because ultimately he left me but before that um he introduced me to my first sponsor via he said if y- you're uh, you're clearly insane you don't have a sponsor you haven't worked any steps you think just going to meetings and like hanging out with me is going to keep you sober and it's not So if you want to be with me, you're going to have to get a sponsor. You're going to have to work some steps. And I hated being told what to do. I still hate it. Like, please don't tell me what to do. Don't even tell me what time to be here. I will absolutely be late or early, but not at what time you said. But for whatever reason, I really wanted to be in this relationship with him. I was just enamored. And he um, gave me a gift, introduced me to this woman and also gave me a gift by leaving (laughs) (laughs) because, Um, we were not a good match, but the woman and I, we were a good match for sponsorship. And she sat me down and she told me her story and I related a lot to it. She too felt like the world wasn't right. And like she too drank more than she wanted to and did things that like she never would, she wasn't proud of and like would never tell anybody. <clears throat> but lived as far as I could tell at that point, like a rich and meaningful life that, in ways that contributed to the world and society, I wanted that. Hmm. That's why I like became a teacher and tried to lead a school. Like, I want to be a contributor um, and I want to do good for the world. But my alcohol is cooking in the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, so she, um, she raised me up, man. She, we read the book, we worked all 12 of the steps together, and my life started to change.
0: Yeah, I remember real quick. I remember <clears> before <throat> I got sober. I, I kind of wanted and I don't know if it's like just like grandiose, you know, feelings or just or, or if more ego based or whatever. But I was like going to start this nonprofit, you know, I even started, you know, I'm, I was drunk when I did it. I, I created a Facebook page of it was going to be, you know, help with education in Guatemala. I knew nothing of education. Yeah,
1: we have grandiose <laughs> ideas, yeah. right? I didn't even
0: gra- I didn't even go to college, you know, so I'm like, I'm gonna help Guatemalan kids yes. get educated. Yeah. And I started this like it's embarrassing to think about. <laughs> started a Facebook page, invited everybody All to it. Like, All your Whoa. friends.
1: Help Guatemalan <laughs> children. <laughs>
0: you know, drunk and like, you know, didn't do anything with it after that, obviously. Yeah. But.
1: This is the cool part though, right? I'm listening to you talk about it and I'm like, I'm looking in your eyes and like know that you're totally capable of doing it today. Yeah. And, like that's the miracle it's is amazing. like stuff that we created back then and hopes and dreams can actually be a reality today yeah. for yeah. me anyway. And I no, know for I you too, like too. sitting in part of your dream space right it's now. Specific. It
0: is everything. You're right. You know, so, <laughs> it's amazing.
1: <clears throat> yeah. So all my dreams came true. No, just kidding. Um, I was really stuck on trying to get back professionally where I had dropped off from. And I have never been able to, um, I think this has been like part, a real big, really big part of my spiritual journey is like, I'm almost afraid to like take that leap back into like huge responsibility. Sorry. I'm having trouble with the connection.
0: Please oh. try again in a moment.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Siri. <laughs> um... So anyway, part of that first couple of years was like me being humble, right? Like I worked in a plant place, a plant place where they sold plants. Uh, And my uh, job was to move around dirt and work the retail store and help arrange flowers. I was used to leading, you know, hundreds of people. And now I was working with plants. And like that was a part of me almost shedding my old Self, yeah. you know and like learning how to be a contribute a real contribute like one that paid taxes on time mm-hmm. and one that took showers every day and clean kept the house clean and made the bed like just basic things that I thought I was too busy or too important or too drunk to, to yeah. take care of I slowly learned how to do those things so I did I started with making my bed I started with my keeping my house clean I started with pay- going back back to years of taxes that I hadn't paid, not because I didn't have the money, just because like I just like didn't ever get around to it. <laughs> huh. um, and interestingly enough, like the IRS owed me money, but you know they taxed me and penalized me, so I lost most of it. But anyway, I started to get my life more together than it was before. And through this recovery program, I started to build a new life. One that was much more meaningful and one that is full of purpose. Whereas before I was like, I don't know who I am. I don't like this version. I don't like this life. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Something feels off always. And I used to call it this like a hole in my soul that like started from my solar plexus. And as I got older and more, I drank like that hole got bigger and bigger and really overtook me and I would pour alcohol into it in hopes that it would go away. And it would momentarily. I don't have that anymore. Like, I do not have that feeling anymore. And I haven't in a very long time. Mm -hmm. If I just had that as one gift from sobriety, that would be enough.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Um, But, of course, like, there's so much more. I don't have that feeling. I don't want to die. I have not considered suicide at all. Not even once. The whole time I've been sober. And that, again, like, another miracle. Because I have journals of suicide letters we just talked about.
0: <clears throat> that's that's wild right do you, do you still have those <laughs> mm-hmm. wow yeah oh. <laughs> those are
1: in the garage right now Andy. Those, they're on the way I'm not, out
0: <laughs> i'm not sure those should be scanned
1: <laughs> yeah no we're gonna let those go especially because my girls are trying. like one of them's almost ready to read i'm like oh, let's just get rid of this before yeah. she wow. catches on so <laughs> um yeah man things started to happen um I don't know where really. I, I, I got really involved in this recovery program. Like not kinda involved, like really involved. I yes. like threw myself into service uh, cause I didn't have any friends. Like I didn't have anything else much going on, you know, besides like this thing in recovery and like showing up to whatever job I was going to. And even that for me was hard. Cause I would get this idea that like, what are you doing? Like you're working in a plant store? Like <laughs> what? <laughs> no way you speak you're you know quadrilingual you have two degrees like you lived all over the world like what are you doing in a plant store but like that was me talking to myself which is so crazy but that's
0: exactly what you needed
1: exactly it was exactly what i needed
0: because i i I worked in a grocery store stacking fruit for the first my first job yeah and it's talking about that felt incredibly humbled. Yeah.
1: <laughs> when the truth was is like I wasn't really fit to be around people. Like I uh, needed dirt and flowers. That's what uh, I needed <laughs> at the time. <laughs> While I built up my like human yeah. skills again. So I did. I spent the first couple of years just like building skills. Um in the meantime, like I did meet another guy who who's amazing and um probably too soon like dumped into a relationship. But we have we're still in a relationship today. Like we just went and celebrated our five year wedding anniversary, I which is that. that in itself is like a huge miracle.
0: I know. I was <laughs> thinking the same thing. I was like five I years, did. they've been
1: married five years? I know, That's right. a long I time. that happened. <laughs> yeah. We even looked at each other like, man, how have we gone this far, <laughs> how have we made it? But I'm telling you, it's because of these things that we learned in recovery. Like yeah. it's, the, it's the only thing that could have possibly gotten us this far. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is so like you
0: know you hear that so much and you go sure but man I tell you what there are some things that I go through sober you know life things that are difficult you know and I tell my and, and I realized in that moment I was like dude if I was if I didn't have the tools that I have if I did not have the people around me that I have if I wasn't sober I would be a complete psycho going through this. Yeah, you know because it's painful as is, and I'm on the and I'm like sometimes on the edge of being psycho with, with all these tools. Like I couldn't imagine. Yeah, n- not having the like the twelve step program that we that 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 we're involved in to get through life nowadays.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story actually about four years. What happens when I don't? You don't have the t- when I don't have the tools. Um. So when I was okay so i we got married this dude and i got married and um you know things were on on track and for whatever reason in like the spiral of like planning a wedding and like being in school i went back to school to get my license and massage therapy by the way new totally new path (laughs) Um, i put down the tools And I stopped putting my recovery first. I just said, like, yeah, this is really up. I have so much going on. We're so busy. I'm, like, worried about all the things, worried about money, worried about this, worried about that. Then I put the tools down, and, like, slowly but surely, like, my life started to unravel. And so I would lash out at people. I would damage relationships again. Um, financially became really un- insecure drastically left my fault like not drastically yeah that's the right word but and dramatically left my like v- job that i had spent so much time like getting and being promoted and like was on track again professionally and just like burn that shit down yeah. just like left and and at the same time like started to do that in other areas of my life and like couldn't even see like couldn't even see it But one by one was just burning one bridge after the other. And literally months after my husband and I got married, I tried to burn the marriage to the ground. And within six months, he was living somewhere else. Wow. Because of stuff I did, you know. And so that's what it looks like. And I remember having this conversation. I swear to you, I can't remember. We got married in 14. So this would have been... September of fourteen or so. I had a conversation with my sponsor. I called her to say, Hey, thanks for working with me. I'm out. Wow. I'm done. I'm done. And I was on my way to the Walgreens to because I was going for my wine. Um, and that's what it looked like. And so she kind of tricked me. She's like, actually tonight's Tuesday. Like, I think the Grace House is having a meeting. Can you just like go down there and like maybe go to a meeting? And Call me after that. And for whatever reason, I got into the habit of listening to her. I just stopped calling her except for this like one. <laughs> but I did that. But what I didn't realize and she pointed out to me and continues to point out to me is like, I set the tools down. I burned my life to the ground. And the last thing I was about to do was drink. Thank God I called her.
0: But you called her.
1: I did. And like, I like, mean, there's though, God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I was gonna say like that was a tool. Even though you thought you were calling to tell her goodbye, no. you called her. Yeah, that's I amazing. Did. Yeah,
1: I did um, because I yeah. really didn't know. I, I just thought it was at, out of respect. I better call this woman and say thanks for spending years and years of your life helping mm. me. But I just can't live like this anymore. And that's what you know. That's what happened. And so slowly but surely I came out of that and recommitted to like putting my recovery and my sobriety first. Now in that time, like I didn't drink and do any drugs. Like I didn't do anything mind altering except for lay down the tools and think I didn't need them anymore. Same Mm. thing that I used to do with antidepressants, you know, although I don't take antidepressants today. Like I didn't just set them down. Like I had a titration plan was supervised by a doctor and still have check-ins, you know, And it's the th- same thing with recovery. But I put it, picked it back up because I saw, like, how on fire my whole life was. Again, this, like, beautiful life that I built up for myself. And now was, like, buried. I thought all my dreams are supposed to come true. And, like, that feeling came back, Andy. So I kind of lied when I said yeah. I haven't had it again because I did have it during that period. Yeah. And it, cr- it, like, basically set me running t- towards wow. the drink. So I really had to lose almost everything in, in order for me to realize, like, how important this is and, like, how incapable I am of, like, being okay without the tools of recovery and is, putting my recovery first.
0: Yeah. Isn't it weird? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I don't want to, like, analyze your situation. But, like, for me, I think it's, like, all. Get involved and do all the work, and then find find satisfaction in that. But in the back of my head, a lot of times I still have that that um that goal or that milestone that when I get there, yeah, everything's gonna be. No matter how much I'll say, I know that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. But in the back of my head, like you know, like I for example with this, with my with my uh, with my shop, you know, it was a big thing for me and i ex- i i experienced like some pretty heavy like depression after getting after it. getting what you yeah, wanted that so happened
1: great. for me with the race just yeah. recently <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: because it's like i still hold out hope that that thing's gonna finally do yeah. what i need it to do yeah it's just make everything perfect better for me and it's like and and and, and, and it's and i keep telling myself that lie with the next thing you know yeah um
1: i totally get that man <laughs> i totally do because i was like okay got the de- moved away check got the yeah. degree check lived abroad check got my first job check like all the got things Married, check, check. <laughs> burned yeah. it down check <laughs> um yeah and what i realized um and and somewhat able to practice is like the only thing that ever is is being with you right now mm. like whatever is in front of me right now that's I've arrived. The thing that I'm expecting is here at this moment. And whenever I think it's somewhere there or supposed to belong to me back there, like that's when I'm in such suffering, yeah, (laughs) in such a disconnect.
0: Yeah, that's like a. Eckhart Tolle. I just read a book. Yeah. Like I just read. Did you read read Power of Now or New Earth? I just read New Earth. Yeah. My God. I know, right? What a book! What (laughs) a. I mean, just thinking about the book, I get.
1: Yeah, Oprah he he and Oprah did a podcast just yeah. on that book.
0: It was it's an amazing just the, the his his writing, the way he translates whatever he's getting is amazing. Yeah. But yeah, so it's like like you said it was what's the, my purpose? My purpose is what I'm doing right now. In
1: this moment. This right is my purpose. This second. It doesn't matter what, I'm in yeah. it. I'm <laughs> really like I'm living the dream. The dream is here. It's yeah, right now. It's, yeah. Beautiful. And I'm not drunk. Like that's a freaking miracle. Mm. So, when I look back on sobriety, like okay, we were recovered from that period of insanity. Um I have to remember by putting my recovery first, that means like my job is not just to stay sober, but it's to help as many people as I can in meaningful ways. And the way, as you know, this 12-step program is set up is like in order for me to have meaningful sobriety, I have to find people to help and take through this process. And um, I'm able to do that with a lot of women now. I've a book study at my house and meet with new women and take them through the steps. Just like that lady I was telling you about took me through. And since then I've gotten a new sponsor and we've been working together for like eight years, which is crazy. But that's the whole thing is like you give it away to get it. Yeah. And I don't feel spiritually connected or filled with purpose or meaningful in any way, unless I'm being useful to other people. And I've tried it outside of the, for the rooms. Like Tried community service and like tried like in other ways to be helpful. But I found that like my purpose is to be useful in these rooms of recovery. Well,
0: it's because you've got a unique gift and you and you have an avenue through which to use it. Yeah, I think think. like that's what I think. Like, yeah, I could go find places to be useful outside of here and, and not discrediting it. And yeah, do that, too. But for me, where I really get it is here. Yeah because i've been given a superpower exactly and i can and, and i and i have and, and for me to ignore the obvious thing in front of me to apply this superpower in is 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 crazy really
1: yeah and when i say superpower <laughs> right and like thinking about somebody who might be listening who like is still oh. in the middle of their alcoholism <laughs> like let me tell you something if somebody would have told me Dana, remember all those things that you felt so much shame about? Like, you're going to be able to use those things to help people today? I would have been like, no
0: way. No, I'm never talking about that. That's buried deep, 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 Because
1: through the process of recovery, like, you clear out that stuff. And I remember telling my first sponsor, like, the thing that I thought I would never tell anybody. You know what she said to me, Andy? Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Uh what do you mean you (laughs) too? you're bad like me i love it yeah (laughs) but it was such a relief to know that like i wasn't the only person who did the thing had the thing won the thing screwed around with the thing (laughs) you know, like all the things we have done them too and if we personally have it like we know people who have so i think that you know i spent a lot of time drunk that uh, because of like the secrets yeah The things that I was like, man, I'm never telling anybody about that. So shameful. It is so awful. That thing that I did, those things that I did and the things I don't even remember, you know? So anyway, cleared away. And I don't even forget about them. I tell people these things when I'm telling them my story. Yeah, Yeah,
0: it's so insane. (laughs)
1: I'll talk to a woman and I'll be like, let me tell you the three worst things ever. And they're like, oh, this girl's for real. And guess what they do? Start to tell me the truth about their lives. I don't have a degree in psychiatry or therapy or counseling. Like I don't, I'm not those things, but that's what I'm talking about with the superpower is like, we tell our story. Somebody relates and starts to tell us there.
0: And then they become free.
1: And through that we recover. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things. Sober, a lot of cool things, managed to rebuild relationships that had been burned, uh, managed to create some new ones, my husband and I had some babies.
0: <laughs> yeah, two beautiful little girls. Yeah,
1: two little girls, and we're negotiating for a third.
0: Oh, really? Who wants the third? Is that you or guess. him? Yes, I'll <laughs> let you take a guess. <laughs> well, you never know. Brent seems to really love his girls. Oh, so it's totally I me. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <It's> totally
1: me. <laughs> He's like, no, no, and no, but we're still in negotiation. But anyway, we, we created some little humans and now when i talk in the rooms i'm like man we have to stay like y'all have to stay in these rooms because god help us we did not give these children a hot, a good fair shot you wow. know like their odds are not good hopefully they will be like some of my siblings and like j- just pass through wow not yeah. have to be alcoholic or have problems like we do and like just pick up normal things and do community service or go to church <laughs> and like be okay yeah Um, in the event that that doesn't happen though, I, um, am really proud to raise them in these rooms of recovery. Like we went to speak, uh, speak and eat the other night and brought, like we bring them, we're having food in a meeting and there's a speaker. My kids are coming and they're going to be obnoxious and probably loud and interrupt the speaker, but they're coming because we need a village to help us with our marriage and our kids and our lives. And, um, we want to be a part of other people's villages like AA. I mean, no. <laughs> and all the A's <laughs> helped raise me. Yeah. You know, like it's going to help raise my kids too. Cause like, we don't know what we're doing. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> but I think the difference between us and like normal Jane's and Joe's is like, we have a community of people who are also trying yeah. to like learn how to be parents or like have been successful parents or whatever. So, and the trend is we're willing to ask for help and, like, keep showing up. The other thing I want to mention is, like, dreams do come true. You were talking about your bike shop. Like, I started to, like, start to believe in myself again and, like, believe in, like, the, like, God-given potential or whatever that, like, I used to really believe in that like got me into a good school and like got me a good job and like the self-confidence and this belief that like i can do great things and like i'm meant for great things like, oh, i've started to I like believe th- that too. reinvest in that so um I, out of some like stress and anxiety after having my first child i started to run again and just as, like, a stress reliever and picked up on it and, like, really started to get into it. And then my one of my dearest friends said, oh, we should run the Crescent City Classic together. And I was like, oh, that's really far. But we did it together and, like, it felt so good. So she and I ran the Crescent City Classic last year and, like, a new world opened up for me.
0: Full marathon.
1: So... After the Crescent City, which oh, is 10K, 10K, I decided I'm gonna try. I, I had a girl that I work with, a sponsor who is like loves to run a half marathon. So she inspired me to run. The uh, children's hospital. I can't remember the name of it. The jazz half, and mm-hmm. I did first half marathon. Like smoked my best time. Loved it, and thought to myself, "Ooh, if I could do a half marathon, like maybe I could do a marathon." And so I considered it, and then decided, "Like I'm doing this. I'm gonna just That's do insane. it."
0: <laughs> You're not so. Is, I like the uh, the the little stickers that say thirteen point one. Because I'm only half crazy. I
1: know, right? Oh, I'm <laughs> full fledged. Okay, like make no mistake, I'm going all the way crazy. So, but this is what this is what I feel like I'm most proud of. Not that I ran a marathon. I did. I did run the marathon. But what I'm proud of is that I didn't just decide like, woohoo! I'm gonna go run a marathon. Like, go out in the street and run it. Which is what my, my normal MO would have yeah. been like. I make a decision and impulsively just like go do it. I made a decision or I made, I I made a consideration and then I waited a full month in that consideration and then made a decision. And then I mapped out a a three month training plan and I stuck to the training plan and with discipline, even when we were in Thanksgiving in Alabama was running up this Alabama Hills (laughs) Uh. 15 miles because that's what my training schedule said to do. And I did that. And so when it came time for race day, I ran it because I'd trained for it and I'd made the disciplined commitment <laughs> to get ready for it. That's the thing that impresses me most yeah. because immature, alcoholic, impulsive, even young in sobriety, like didn't have the capability to do that. And yeah. so
0: to think long-term, my bingo. Lord. yeah, bingo. <laughs>
1: and to do something that's like pretty ambitious and good for you, yeah. you know?
0: And to even, to think that like, okay, I just have to do these steps over a long period of time and then I'll, and then the next step will come and I'll do that next step. And then, you know, and then whenever that's done, I'll just do, like, to not like look at the whole and, and either get like so afraid that you don't do it, yeah. you know, to commit to doing one step at a time.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of the last things we'll talk, we can talk about is like my conception of what success looks like mm. that has been dramatically shifted through sobriety and through s- spiritual seeking and searching and i came from my mom's very successful she's a brilliant woman she's top of her profession she's a surgeon and has is really she would never say this but she's a trailblazer in her field and one of the first women to like ever do what she does and big shoes to fill you know what I'm saying so um <laughs> but through like upbringing and more really through like materialism of America I had this conception of like this is what success for Dana is gonna look like I'm gonna make this much money I'm gonna drive this car I'm gonna live in this neighborhood in this mini bedroom house with this kind of purse and this kind of like all the, th- the things yeah and I swear to you even though I've really tried like I made much more money when I was drinking than I do sober but I am so much happier with so much less in sobriety oh. and so my version now don't get me wrong i like to eat you know like i like <laughs> to wear things i don't like to you know like whatever but i am not i'm less attached to um those meaningless drivers yeah. and success for me looks like living a life of purpose and of contribution than it does like how many bedrooms we have like my my family like man my husband's a big guy like we live in kind of a small place for us but we have more space than we need you know and we're not driving fancy cars and we don't have schmancy jobs but i've been able to make a decision of like what even professional like my professional life looks like for me and when i had my kids remember when i was telling you back in college my friends were making fun of me because like i didn't even like kids and (laughs) so i just (laughs) don't Well, I, I really, like, I liked my high school kids, but little kids scared me, and I always thought, like, I'm going to be like my mom, like, my kids are going straight to daycare, and, like, I'm going to go work a professional, fancy career, and, like, whatever. Um, when I had my first daughter, I could not do that. I couldn't do it, and my whole paradigm around, like, personhood and motherhood and, um, sober woman and everything really was just like smashed because all I wanted to do was like be around my kid and like raise her and be there and experience every moment that I could possibly experience with her mm. um, and that's not something that I like knew or had exposure to but it was just something I felt really called to do so my husband has really like stepped up in our, like he's always been the one with like the steady job and like retirement mm-hmm. plan and the insurance. And w- we really have worked together to like save and scrape and like get by on sometimes like nothing at all, just so like we can have the time because that's what's meaningful for us. That's what's meaningful for me. Mm-hmm. So it shifted a little bit, but like I've been able to make decisions based on what's important, what's really important versus like stuff. Yeah. And that is like just another gift on the path, yeah. you know, like because of that, like I know my kids, like I've seen all the firsts, like I've been there. I saw them walk. I taught them how to speak and sing and um,
0: speak French to them.
1: They like my <laughs> my three year old, like knows some French right now, <laughs> like because I have time to talk, you know, talk with her and yeah. like teach her and. So we've been able to sacrifice the things that don't really matter. And that sacrifice isn't even the right word. Like set aside our ideas yeah. of what we thought should matter in favor of the things that actually do.
0: Mm. Man, that's so like, awesome. Like who
1: could, like I could never have even considered that drinking. I would have been like, are hey, you going to daycare? <laughs> <laughs> 16 hours a day. Well, like whatever. Not that daycare bad. Like it's, yeah. it's not at all. But it wasn't what I wanted, and like sobriety gave me the opportunity to like go for what I wanted, what was right for us and me. So.
0: Yeah. No. You. T- I'll tell you what. I, and I, Brent was on on the on the podcast, uh, and I wanted to talk to him. I wanted him to tell me about you and her, and his relationship, but I forgot to ask. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know. I mean, you've already shared some, so great. I just, I just admire you guys so much. Um, i admire you guys' relationship and your commitment to each other and uh, recovery and it's really beautiful to watch and i'm not just saying that like i definitely truly mean that and and, and not really knowing fully any like your your guys' story but just as an outsider looking in and, and knowing both of you and, and 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 always looking up to both of you guys has been Amazing to watch.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. we work really hard to maintain that image. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you do well.
1: <laughs> uh, no, but we—I—I I would say like we're pretty good at at we're pretty good at failing and picking up the tools, and failing and picking up the tools. And I think the thing that like distinguishes us from maybe people, you know, other people, I don't know, distinguishes us from like our own relationships in the past. Mm-hmm. Let's say that. There you go. Is that we're not willing to quit. We're yeah. just gonna keep picking up the tools and like keep asking for help and keep trying different things and we're gonna put our relationship with God and our recovery program first. And
0: that's just so impressive.
1: Our week is designed around our meeting schedule. Yeah. And that's we don't have the same meeting schedule. We don't even go to meetings together because we can't. Like we have kids, one of us has to be yeah. there with them or the police will be called. You know? <laughs> like we're trying to avoid police. But, um, but yeah, it starts with what meetings we're going to, and then it goes to like making sure we have time, like for prayer and meditation, making time, making sure we both have time for exercise, like making sure we have time as a family. And we also, um, spend time working on our relationship. And what I realized is like, I have no idea how to be in a healthy relationship. I don't think most people in America do. I mean, I really don't. I don't think it's just alcoholics. I mean, it's <laughs> definitely us for sure. But, yeah. I, you know, my sister just got married. And what I, I'm gifting her is like some some like counseling sessions because I feel like every couple needs a counselor mm. because we're not taught how to be in healthy relationships. And so, it, you know, it took us some years to realize that like we need all the help we don't need like a little help we need all the help not because we're bad not because our relationship stinks it's just because like we don't know how to have healthier relationships so why would we pretend and think it's all going to work out (laughs) so we don't like we have relationship mentors we have relationship sponsors we are in a relationship workshop and we still have the struggles you know yeah so um
0: but your willingness to work is like yeah. Yeah.
1: We're so, pretty relentless yeah. in both our like failure and also in our commitment to to keep going. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, I don't know if you have any like closing questions well, or
0: I, I do. <laughs> I do. I'm I'm considering thinking of some other stuff to ask. Just to like cuz I'm always like there, it, I want to find a nice smooth landing for the episode. Um you've covered a lot um but just like if there's to anybody listening right now you know i think I'll, i i I've, I've been framing the question is what, what would you tell yourself coming in um but also like what would you tell if there's somebody listening right now i think that's probably like what would be the first thing that you would that comes to you that you would want to tell that person um who's maybe where you were before you came in and not sure about anything
1: yeah Yeah. I don't know Andy because I I mean I couldn't have told myself nobody could tell me anything what if I could go back and talk to myself I would say oh honey like you don't have to feel like this ever again It doesn't have to be this way it doesn't have to be so hard like there is literally an easier softer way (laughs) I know it doesn't sound sexy to go to a 12-step program but you know what like life is so much brighter on the other side this is not a sales pitch it's just my experience Hmm. how about like maybe not wanting to kill yourself for like a week would that be a sound like a good (laughs) thing like let's just try this I like it when people say like, Hey, just give it a shot. If it doesn't work, you can always go like, we will refund your misery and go back to what you had. But I will say like, we're not done till we're done. But if you're listening and you're thinking like, Hey, maybe I'm close to getting done the way that I've got made. The decision was just showing up to meetings and listening to what people had to say. And I was very angry young woman when I got here and I've shed all I've shed that, you know, but I, I had to come in and, like, listen to people and relate to people. And that's the, you know, we're talking about the superpower that we have. And it's really our story. It's all that stuff that we did to, like, ruin our lives. Yeah. <laughs> that's the superpower. That's that's the- <laughs> <laughs> but guess who people call when they need to get sober or know somebody who does? Yeah. They like, call me.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I'm like,
1: what? <laughs> <laughs> You're calling me? Oh, that's right. Because I know, like, I can tell you what I did. Yeah. So, um, there are some people in my life who have been in and out of the rooms and who are in active alcoholism and like, there isn't anything that I can say to them. Yeah. The only thing I can do is shine from the other side That's it. and keep the, keep the door open, you know, and say like, we are here when you're ready mm-hmm. and the ready comes with whatever path is out there for them. You know and it may never come and like that's the hard part about coming in and like seeing the light is like some people just don't get attracted to it in the same way yeah so um god there's a lot of hope on this side and i wish we could go out and like market it and like sell like you know like but uh, alcoholics are buying it and, like you <laughs> know what sells um a 12-step program, like being beaten down by alcohol. That's it. So I might say like, hey, go drink some more. <laughs> Get <laughs> you here faster. Maybe you try some drugs.
0: <laughs> yeah. That is such a hard thing to think about which, what to tell somebody, you know?
1: Yeah. I think that what we can do is shine and keep yeah. the door open. That
0: is such a great answer.
1: Yeah. That's it. And this is this is my hope, right? This is my like little plan, like yeah. plans. In the event that my children need a 12-step program. I want us to shine so bright that they are attracted to us so early that they don't have to do the kind of damage that we did to our lives. Yeah. <clears throat> and they know where to come so that they can have like a really rich and vibrant life in the event that they do have some sort of genetic thing.
0: let's <laughs> pray. Uh,
1: yeah. All right. Yeah, that's it, though, I think.
0: All right, cool. Awesome. Dana, uh, thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for shining bright.
0: Oh, you're
1: welcome. <laughs> <laughs>